Welcome to the new school. What we wanted to do was talk about the concept of authenticity and vulnerability in an industry that has typically been super buttoned up, super professional, and a little bit old school. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number six of the New School Video Podcast. I'm your host, Candice, and in this episode, Meg and I had the opportunity to speak to Tucson Bailey, the CEO of Enso Wealth and founder of the Just Listen Project. So here's the thing. We're huge fans of Toussaint's because every time we interact with him, he truly demonstrates to us what it means to be authentic, vulnerable, but also really powerful. Enso Wealth is a unique RAA. They talk all about their mission to expand the abundance mindset, as well as to help their clients translate wealth into fulfillment. Tucson launched the Just Listen Project after George Floyd's death and talks about his experiences as being a black man in America, the CEO of an all-white firm, and how having these really vulnerable conversations actually has created more connection with him and all his uh, colleagues at Enso Wealth. We think you're going to love Tucson as much as we do. Let's get started. Okay, so the long-awaited interview with Tucson Bailey. Tucson, Meg and I have been wanting to have you on the New School episode ever since we first met you. We had the opportunity to hear you speak because you're so passionate. I think you have the ability to move people with your words. For anyone that's listening, you're the CEO of Enso Wealth. You're a father to three daughters. Um, you are also the founder of the Just Listen Project, which is all uh, is talking about uh, your experience of racism in America. And you're really, I think, in that series, every time I watch the trailer, I mean, I just get goosebumps every single time because you just speak so authentically and so vulnerably. And you're also so powerful in your words. You're like able to like manage all those pieces. You were also a litigator in a previous life before you moved across to financial services. And I've heard you talk about navigating all these different types of worlds was the Just Listen Project your most vulnerable career move? And what impact has it had on your work and your personal life? It's not even close. <laughs> yeah, that is, it is by far uh, my most vulnerable career move on so many different levels. And first of all, thank you for that ridiculously generous uh, introduction. I feel like I should stop here and <laughs> just leave people with that impression of me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I had never um, talked uh, meaningfully or materially about race at work. I had never got on camera really and, and talked with um, authority about a subject that I'm not certified or expert in, or, and I'd never really asked people to do anything for me or to help me or to help um, people within my community. So all of those things are 
so at an edge for me um, that, yeah, I, I think I was transformed through that. Now, on the other side of that, I, I think I did, yeah, even in that 10 minutes, probably become more powerful by by the last minute. And, and since then, I feel more capable to kind of drop into a lot of those places. But it, it was excruciating. It took it, it took me. Um, you know, I, I had that written down for several days. It took me several days to build up the courage to put that on camera. And then after I had it recorded and edited, it took me a week just to hit send because I, I had to force myself to put it out. And I knew it was something that I wanted to exist on LinkedIn. I put it out on Facebook first and it took me more days to put it out on LinkedIn, which felt more vulnerable. So it was excruciatingly vulnerable for me. What has been the impact for your company, for Enso Wealth and everyone you work with, as well as like your your partnerships? But what has that been? I know Enso is kind of a very kind of special place in financial services. But what has been the impact and the response from all the members? I know you call your advisors members of your your firm. Yeah, so they 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 got the kind of preview of that because the conversation started at one of our all hands meetings where we do these check-ins and we checked in. And the first place I forced myself to have the conversation was at one of those meetings. And the impact on me was probably greater than the, I don't know, I can't say greater, but it was just as substantial as the impact on them. When I really forced myself to start this conversation very reluctantly and the response was so supportive and so, welcoming um, that I, I think we just, we grew closer. I, I grew more free through starting the conversation and they are experiencing a version of me. I think that that is transcendent of, of what they had before. Like I, I've spent most of my career sort of, in, including my time at Enzo, sort of code switching. Like this is, this is a piece of me that exists outside of work. This is the professional piece of me that that shows up at work. I'm going to do my job well. And and, you know, we are we are friends, which is how I was able to start that conversation. But there's a certain part of my culture, my my roots, my upbringing that just didn't ever come up at work. I just would never bring it up. And so now that this kind of more integrated version of myself is showing up at work, I feel the, the bonds are more true and meaningful and fuller and things are are better at least at least from my perspective things things are better and there's been nothing but support as i've spent a substantial amount of time going out and, and kind of talking about this passion of healing racism and and having people show up more fully in the workplace um whether it's because of their gender that they may not have felt belonging or because of a race that they may not have felt belonging the ability to go out and have those conversations has been something that i've gotten full support on and, and, and backpats on at work. So it's been, it's been phenomenal for me. And, and I think the firm. Can we explore this a little bit more? Because I'm listening to you talk about sort of how excruciating that moment was, you know, do I post on social media? What do I post on social media? Do I record this video? When do I record it? Am I really going to record it? Am I really going to send it out? But from, a, from my perspective, I watch and I listen and I hear you and I see you and I hear you talking about seeing the humanness of people as 
individuals. And I hear you talk about helping to have these conversations around racism and to just allow people like myself to just sit and to listen and to be present and to be an empathetic listener. And I feel like I know that that didn't just all appear when George Floyd was murdered. And when you saw the video of the woman in Central Park, um, you know, harassing that man, like I know that that didn't just appear on that day. So I feel as though it is actually quite it's, it's you as a human. It, you're bringing your humanness to life in these conversations that you're leading within the industry. So, I mean, take us back to potentially earlier moments in your career where you felt this real power in, in seeing the humanness of the world around you. And, and I mean, like, tell us about those experiences and, and what can we learn from them or what should we try to learn from them? Yeah, so anybody who knows me knows like I, I drop Brene quotes <laughs> like like probably once a minute, and, and so like it, as as much as I I intuitively understood um, the value of of kind of this human work, I think one of the things that Brene says is like uh, vulnerability is courage when we see it in other people, but it's weakness when when we feel it in ourselves. Oftentimes, before we kind of evolve that thinking, and that that was true for me. However, you know, I, I have been for a long time, really actually after, since encountering, I think, the power of vulnerability as a TED Talk and then and reading Daring Greatly, I've, I've appreciated the value of, of vulnerability. Those are two Brene Brown sort of pieces. Appreciated the power of vulnerability and, and I've, I've strived to bring that to, to places where I work. So showing imperfection has, has been something that I've, I've valued for a long time. Even, you know, I, I feel like, uh, early on as a lawyer and, and then kind of becoming a, a, a leader of people in that context at a law firm. And then here as, as a leader of people, I, I feel like I am a very human leader. Nobody's going to accuse me of pretending to be perfect. It feels uncomfortable for me to show up that way. Um, and I think that humility has been contagious. I, I, I think the people who I work with would say they feel safe to make mistakes. They feel held to high standards, but they feel coached through kind of arising to meet those standards. Um, for, for me, like that, that kind of need or approach or rush to perfection and that desire to perfection is suffocating. It, it's, it's, it, it, you guys talk a lot about, you know, I'm a huge fan. So you guys talk about a lot of the imposter syndrome, on on the show. And for me, like the imposter, syn imposter syndrome is really sparked when I'm striving to meet this kind of made up standard about what sh one should show up as in the industry. I'm, I'm always an imposter when I'm trying to meet that standard. I, uh, But when I'm showing up as self and, and kind of showing up in my own voice, it, at least the volume goes down a little bit on that imposter syndrome. I, I, I'm not pretending to be, I'm just being. Um, and I feel like I've tried to create a, a, a place where that's safe here at Enzo and in other places where I've been. And I think we get a better quality of people. We get a truer uh, relationship, which is something that, you know, we, we talk a lot about. Um, and it's been, it's been something that's really kind of improved the quality of our community. There's a tightness around not being able to show up as fully human. That's just unproductive. So for people who are listening, Tucson, can you tell everyone, explain a little bit about Enso's philosophy of abundance and fulfillment and the waterfall effect? Because I think it's very unique to financial services. Yes, yeah, so our, our mission is translating wealth into fulfillment. We're 
fortunate enough to deal with clients who probably have enough wealth to, to meet their needs. Um, but at that level, uh, what you're really sort of seeking to us is fulfillment. We don't deal with people's money. We don't serve people's money. We serve people. And what people are getting at is fulfillment. When you strip away everything, a lot of times you'll hear advisors say, you know, I do this and this and this with a client's portfolio to give them peace of mind. I've never met a portfolio that was managed so well that it gave a person peace of mind yeah. that comes from relationship that comes from conversations, comes from understanding and growth. And so that, that like belief about what clients are ultimately seeking um, informs kind of how we've formed the firm and what we're aiming to do. Now you have to do your job. Well, you have the investment management has to be impeccable. That's table stakes. Planning has to be done well, but that's not going to get clients to what they desire. That That's, providing a service check. Um, and for us, when we talk about translating wealth into fulfillment, I, we've gone a step further, meaning that has we have to have an opinion on what fulfillment, what fulfillment means. And so goals-based planning where clients come in and have goals that, that they believe are going to help them become fulfilled or get what they want in life um, is, is step one. But I think we have to have the courage to kind of overstep our bounds and, and, and push back, challenge client goals, craft client goals, clarify client goals. And for us, our belief is that fulfillment it comes from very discrete places where there's scientific support to, to kind of highlight um, uh, sort of the sources of fulfillment for, for us as human beings, sort of what makes us tick. There's great science about uh, you know, what's being done in technology. There's great science uh, about space exploration. We're on, we're, we're on all these kind of edges of discovery and AI, but there's also a lot of internal science that we're learning about what makes humans tick. And so for us, we're, we're led to believe that fulfillment comes from first loving and trusting relationships. And, and this is what we call our waterfall. And it starts at, at, at relationships and it sort of trickles down into all these other areas of fulfillment. So loving and trusting relationships, we're promoting that internally for our firm and we're helping clients uh, engage in loving and trusting relationships. From there, self-actualization. We think of that as self-awareness and self-mastery. There's a certain level of fulfillment that comes from that in itself. And that's fed by the kinds of relationships that help you kind of have the self-compassion and the courage to approach self-work. From there, we believe the next step in fulfillment, um, once you've start, started to master self and, and you're working on self, co-creation and collective impact. There, there's this desire to now achieve together, master together and grow together. And from there, we, we are a, a capitalist organization, consciously capitalist, but capitalist. Personal gain, whatever that means in personal gain is, um, sort of held with more gratitude when you go through that process from one to four, rather than what we've seen um, in this industry and many others historically of starting at number four and seeking personal gain and then treating all those other things as sort of icing on the cake. And so for us, we, we've built our firm around that waterfall of fulfillment. We built our client experience around supporting that belief and that ethos and, and it's it's served us well. I like, at least me, I like working here. <laughs> I think such a great takeaway for people that are listening to this would be to help them understand how you got to this very evolved, very real, sort of very human value proposition for your firm that you just described, knowing that you came from being a litigator, I believe that when you joined Enso Wealth, it was or it had already been started, correct? So you sort of came in stream. So 
I mean, just honestly, like when you first started working with the advisors at Enso, like, did you see that abundance philosophy um, or what did you, what did you see? And then the next thing is, and then how did you get to where you are today? But I'm curious, like, what were your real honest feelings or perceptions about our industry when you found yourself stepping into it? Yeah. So it's, it's, um, I, I helped create at Enzo what, what I wanted for, honestly, what I wanted uh, to create for myself at, 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 at my law firm or kind of help grow a practice. It just, it, it, it didn't work there. Like it, it's it, to, to me, like I was sort of trying to push a rock up a hill when, but, uh, I, Enzo started by my brother-in-law, best friend of 20 plus years, uh, Jim Dakota and translating wealth into fulfillment was something that he was interested in. And that was his mission from the time that he went out on his own in 2014. Um, and so Enzo's founded in 26, uh, 20, early 2017, formally, I come on a few months later. Uh, so, so there's Jim and, and a, a collection of people. And I have a conversation with Jim about how, you know, he wants to grow, but he wants to grow different. He, he wants to see something that's kind of promoting fulfillment as a wealth management proposition for the business of wealth management, as much as it's promoting fulfillment for clients. And I started to study the, the industry, like just kind of a, as a pet project. Um, and I wrote what we now call the manifesto, which was about abundance. It was about enlightened self-interest. It ended up being this 15 page document about how a collection of advisors could come together and create something that promoted ownership and, and, and promoted sort of this way of being, and it had to be branded. I, I did all of that. And, and, and a few months after the firm was started, so this is May of 2017, I came and talked to the first couple of partners at Enzo. And I like, I expected to blow their minds with this thing and like have this so, total sort of shift in being. And, and it was basically them nodding in a room going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like they, they were, they were already subscribed to so much of, of what I was saying. They appreciated the clarity. They appreciated the structure. They appreciated the building. Um, but I, I, I met a, a, a group of people who sort of matched my, my belief on life and my belief on abundance. They, I, w- I was fully a litigator. Like I was partner at a law firm spending full time like that. I was driving back to my office a month later um, and they were at their first annual retreat. I think there's three of them. Uh, and they called me up uh, and, and said, like, we're, we're having this meeting. We think you should be here. We don't we don't know why you're not here. So I had to call my assistant and say, I'm not coming in. I was driving into my garage in San Francisco, not coming in. I drove home, threw some stuff in a bag and went up. And like that was how I became a part of Enzo at that. Like there was like I think we got choked up and we talked about how we wanted to go forward together. But I just met a group of people who shared this philosophy. And so that that was that was pre waterfall. the the way the the way the waterfall kind of came about and that relationship first came about was actually through like I hate to talk about this here, but like the the loss of my mom in late 2017. She was this amazing woman who did all these amazing things for the community. She ran a homeless support support services program for years and years and years in San Bernardino County. Like did all this unbelievable stuff. Um, and when people came to talk at her service, like lines of people, all anyone talked about was how she personally related to them. Like her, 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 like when I was talking, Margaret was always listening. Like there wasn't anything I could call. I I called Margaret about that. She wouldn't show up at the drop of a hat. She was here. And and like, it just, I had this epiphany and we talked about this at one of our Enzo dinners 
But there's nothing more important in life than relationship. Like you, you, you get really clear um, when you, and that was that clarity also came in, in like the kind of protracted um, sort of uh, situation with, with me being involved with her and traveling for her months and months and months and the way it brought our family together um, as, as she was kind of transitioning. Like all that mattered when I stripped everything else away was relationship. And then all these other things started to trickle out like, OK, well, if you have a relationship in place, then this sort of self-mastery piece, which I thought was what everything was about, has to come next. And they're sort of one in one A. Well, gosh, you have this you have this urge to, to do things together and build and create and like that's such an important part of kind of who we are as humans and human thriving. Oh, there's this there's this need as humans to co-create and really impact together and do these things together. Gosh, I still get tickled when I'm able to like buy this new fancy, fancy pair of shoes or, or go and do like go to a nice dinner and do all these things that delight me. I, but we can't ignore the personal gain piece, but it's it, I realize it's meaningless if it's not held with gratitude. So all these things like and this is over like months and now years that these things were clarified. And we tweaked the waterfall here and we added here and gratitude's added in. And oh, it's not just co-creation, it's collective impact. But it's been this it's been this personal journey that's become this sort of firm ethos um, through kind of interacting and we have these huge dinners where everybody comes after our, our, our day long partners meetings that we used to do in person monthly. Um, and those dinners, we have a question of the night and we like debate and like, it's, it's cool. We go around um, and ask one question of everyone and everyone's quiet while the other person's talking. And it, it, it saves these side conversations where like these people are having a conversation about this. Everybody's focused on the person that's talking and you have this really powerful experience of people going around and we get, we get deep in those dinner questions. And I think a lot of this is clarified in that, like those actual kind of heart to heart dinner conversations where we get raw. I want to come to the dinner party. I'm just saying, like, if you want to. Oh, you'd love it. We, we, we've had, we've had uh, a couple where we've had outside people come in. And I, I think uh, one of our relationship managers uh, at, at Schwab said something like, this is like the, this is like the crunchiest or most granola. Forget what his words were. Uh, a partner's retreat that I've ever been to. We like, we started it with a little Brene Brown clip. Empathy and, sympathy, and we did a headspace meditation. <laughs> Are you guys singing Kumbaya next? No, we're not going to do all that. But at, at that one, I'll, I'll tell you about that one. So at that one, we did, um, we, we had a question about what is a story that you've been told or that you've told yourself that's no longer serving you. Mm. And we wrote it down on a piece of paper and we we're up in Tahoe. And we have this huge kind of fireplace behind us. So we went around and like, we had, we had outside people there, like, in, like kind of choked up, like telling their stories. And I, I, I told the story about like being not black enough or not professional enough. And like having those two things pull at me. And, and then we burned them. We burned them in the fireplace that was behind us. And it was like this huge kind of moment. Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to just take a moment to um, honor your mother. She sounds like a remarkable woman. What memory of her is most present with you today? It's it's a way of being. It's like things that used to drive me crazy as a kid about her marching to the beat of her own drum. Like she she was fiercely and comfortably weird, <laughs> which like for, for me was maddening as like a 13 year old who wanted nothing else but to be not weird. Um, so so I can remember uh, being 13 in eighth grade before I went out and did anything with friends. She had this 
meditation tape that I had to listen to called Healing Waterfalls. And it was super weird. Like they had you kind of walk through this envisioning where you're seeing like rocks of different colors. And like this one is like light and well-being. And this one, now I'm so deeply appreciative of that. And like, it's like, I look back and go like, she was doing that in the early nineties. Like that's, that's remarkable. Back then, <laughs> uh, it, it was crazy. And I used to fall asleep halfway through, like half the time. And yeah. But I can, like now I, I just like her, her just being comfortable, really transcending any boxes that people tried to place on her. And that's what just about any of her friends would say about her. Like, oh, Margaret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's like, how do you feel like you navigate that? Because I know what that experience is like. I feel like I've been lucky enough throughout my career to be around a lot of very visionary boundary pushers. So that that was the nature of the environment. So I think when people think of financial services, they think about like very conservative, very traditional. None of the firms or the roles I've ever had actually were in that vein, but we were aware of within the context of the industry that we're in, that it is that way. And we are the change makers and that's what we continue to be. And that's what this podcast is about too. But when you're out in the world and specifically in the industry talking about these things, these concepts, you know, the abundance mindset, fulfillment, these fabulous dinner parties that Meg and I, in all seriousness, would love to be invited to like, after COVID. <laughs> we'll, we'll be there. Okay. Like, but what, like, have you had resistance? Do you have people kind of like ever like not take you seriously because of it? Has there, what, has there been any response that has made you maybe not question it, but just in deep contrast to like what you're doing and what you believe? Yeah. So for me, it doesn't come naturally to be at this point. Like I'm not my mom. Like, and I'm not like, I think for, for even for some of my partners, for, for Jim, I think he's kind of that, that trailblazer. I'm like very much, I was, I was like the, the kid on a pedestal, right? Like, so I did okay in school and stuff as a kid and I never really broke any rules. So for me, this is my, I'm at my edge uh, speaking different in an industry that I'm relatively new into. Like, you know, I'm, a, a few years in a complete career changer. So, so there's been the internal resistance of having to build the courage and reappraise the value of my own unique voice and my own unique philosophy and Enzo's unique philosophy um, that I've, I've worked through. Um, the external resistance is so much less in reality than it is in my imagination. Uh, there, there are people who, who, Enzo and the Just Listen Project and me are there. There's there's a whole swath of people, the vast majority of people who are not for, um, and I'm I'm sort of okay with that, and I'm 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 getting more comfortable saying that out loud and saying that quickly. Uh, however, like who the people who I know are our tribe and the people who I know we resonate with, like the their acceptance of our difference and our our sort of uniqueness. Uh, is so much quicker and, and so much more open armed um, than than I imagine it being that like each time I, I have the courage to step out a little bit more boldly and a little bit more uniquely, uh, it, it just promotes that courage to continue doing the same. I think to one of your earlier points, sharing the story about, you know, being in the boardroom with the partners and, and 
and sharing your manifesto. And like, I love thinking about like Jerry Maguire with the fish. <laughs> I'm going to envision you walking into that boardroom <laughs> from now on. Um, and you realizing that these are advisors who may not have known how to articulate their feelings, but that their core beliefs were consistent with what you had put in your manifesto about the abundance philosophy and, and, you know, living lives of fulfillment. And if you were to be talking to a room of financial advisors right now, who may be like those partners who had it in them, but didn't know how to get it out of them, what would your advice be to those advisors yeah there 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 are more options there is more available um it it is less scary than you think to actually step fully into what you believe uh is is the best sort of life the best sort of existence for you so so for for this group of advice like that jerry Maguire moment is is a little different because i was like who's coming with me and it turned out i was like everybody (laughs) we're we're already here right and so and i know there there are others out there but i i don't think that this this sort of option is is promoted and so it it, it's the option to kind of build it uh yourself um but build it together with other people. So, so without competition, like sort of co-create with other people, um, the joy, the struggles of of that co-creation of participating in that co-creation are gratifying um, and for for our tribe, like it's it's something that people wanna do. It's enjoyable to create. It's enjoyable to to kind of be in community with these these other owners who are on sort of the same journey. So I, I would just say like that, like the imagined struggle of, of like stepping out fully into entrepreneurship is, is not as excruciating or difficult and is much more gratifying and much more rewarding um, than sometimes we project it when we're in, in a place of fear. I can't think of the quote, but it's like something, and you'll probably know it, uh, Tucson, but something about like how people are living these lives of like quiet desperation. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like what I'm really hearing and what I really sense is like, I feel for myself and I witness this a lot is we pretend, right? Because we want to belong. Like, so I know, like we pretend to fit in because, and I think Carl Richard had said this in, in our episode with him, which I thought was just so beautifully articulated because we literally think if we don't belong to the tribe, we're going to die. Like, you know, like we're going to die. So we pretend, but we're like living these lives of quiet desperation. But I think within all of us is that yearning, right? To show up more fully as ourselves, like more authentically. And I think it's weird, quite frankly, that in money and financial services, we've decided on some level historically that that's not okay. Like it's changing now. It's definitely changing. It's been changing for a while. And I think the best financial advisors know that, you know, like I'll never forget when I was working in the investment department at Mercer Advisors way back when we had to, it was every team member had a financial planner, whatever your role was. If you're a receptionist all the way up to everyone, you had a financial plan that was in works and everyone had to be in a at least 
one client meeting a year with a financial advisor, with one of the lead financial advisors. And I remember being in a meeting with um, this advisor. She's still around. She's fabulous. Her name's Trisha Fano. And she was so unbelievable to me because in a full day meeting that I witnessed, she must have talked maybe 20% of the time. Mm. Like that was it. She would ask questions and then she'd be silent. And the space that opened up for this couple, like, you know, so they really weren't talking about money, you know? They really weren't talking about their portfolios, you know? They were talking about their lives. They were talking about their hopes and their dreams. They were talking about looking after the people that they employed. You know, they were, it was, it wasn't about money was just the vehicle and the tool, but it was about so much more than that. Yeah. So that, that advisor was ahead of her time. Cause I, I think the, our ways of being in this industry as professionals in this industry are behind the evolution of the value proposition of the industry. So, you know, like selling and leading people through a transaction where they were promised that they were going to make the most money possible was a value proposition very recently. And then it's this kind of quick planning. I'm, I'm going to make sure that you have enough money at the end of your life. And that's that's all there was to the value proposition. And now we're offering people better lives, more fulfillment. And I, th- I don't think Enzo is the only one uh, we've articulated and we've been explicit about it. But I think that's that's the offer, the, the, the value proposition of, of a lot of firms in our industry. But our many of our ways of being haven't caught up. And so we're still having this sort of perspective or belief or showing up like we have to get everything right, which you do to make somebody the most money. Right. So you're you're showing up as expert who's going to make somebody the most money. You're going to have all the right answers that that matches if you're trying to make somebody that an outsized return and beat the markets. That doesn't match if you're trying to make someone's life better with their money as an access point. And so that like listening first and, and kind of showing up and being adept at creating space is just the way of being that matches what we hope to evolve to as an industry for a value proposition to our clients. Absolutely. And I think that that relates back to conversations that we've all had about the imposter syndrome. And, you know, what I struggle with is is showing up in a way that I think people want me to show up rather than how I truly am. And that's not what anyone wants. People just want you to be real. They, they just want you to be real and centered in your truth. And and if you can do that, then you can really, I think, shine a light on how the power of being in alignment and what that means for everyone around you. And I think that that, that also relates to your sort of, I think, philosophy with and an intention behind the Just Listen project, which is to give people a framework to see the humanness, you know, to ask about what are some of the past racism stories that you've experienced? What are some of the present daily racism experiences that you're experiencing every day? And to just give that person the space to speak and to be heard and to, to give us the space to just listen. And there's so much power in that. There's so much power in that for what we're experiencing in this world today with racism and gender inequality. And there's also so much power in that to how advisors 
lead their client relationships and how they develop a really great client experience. I mean, it just feels so fundamental to where we are today to have just sort of the confidence and the humility to be able to just think about the other person and to ask the right questions and then just listen. Sounds so simple. <laughs> sounds, sounds so simple. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I just, we're, we're hiding our superpowers, right? We're, 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 our, our, our humanness, our showing up as uniquely us, our, our bringing this kind of, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm moving from uh, bringing an integrated version of myself to work. So all these different parts and bring to bringing the transcendent version of myself. Like, so, so not like this black person here in this professional here, like the, the, the first step was to have myself show up as a black professional. Now I'm trying to bring this transcendent version of myself. That's, that's Tucson hovering above either of those labels and really kind of show up as this more fully ver human version of myself. But I, on the other end, also really get adept at creating space for people to do the same and really thinking about inclusion, thinking about belonging for everyone and, and kind of helping and encouraging and pushing people to show up more fully human themselves. And it's been, it, that's like a, a, a really recent evolution and journey that's really felt powerful to me. And it's, it's like instilled me with power. I've seen others sort of be uplifted in power through that and, and kind of setting the intention to do that. It's yeah. It, it, in the just listen context in the, in the Enzo wealth context, it's just, it's been very uplifting. Okay. Tucson, we've got a rapid fire question for you. And I'm going to tell, tell Meg, if you just want to throw in anything as I'm rolling, like throw it in. Okay. So here's a couple of questions for you. A uh, book that you're reading right now. Stretch. Uh, by Scott Sunshine. Awesome book um, about how we often chase resources in order to accomplish great things and chase what we think we need to sort of set up and, and do that thing rather than looking at the value of stretching ourselves or stretching into uh, being capable of doing that thing. He's brilliant author, brilliant sort of book. Podcast or video blog that you're obsessed with right now? The new school. And I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can give you quotes from every episode. <laughs> what is it about it? And who's been your favorite guest so far? Oh, I loved Emlyn. I loved Carl. Carl Richards was phenomenal. I, I just think like, for someone of his stature within, within the industry. So he's a he, he's, he's famous with, with <laughs> at least for us financial services geeks. Right. Yeah. Um, so for, for someone of that stature to again show up vulnerably and to like remind people uh, of this vulnerable place for him. I think I, I, I was in awe of it. The thing that I like about the show is it is all about that, right? So mm -hmm. it, 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 I'm trying to do that in different contexts myself and trying to do that work. And I think you guys do it masterfully. You're so sweet. I know, I think I know the answer to this, but Tucson, how do you take your coffee? With heavy cream and more sugar than I should, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more for you. Um, this is near and dear to me because I grew up in a household with two sisters. You've got three girls. So I grew up in a household with three girls. What are the superpowers of each of your daughters? Ooh, oh, my God. I, like, so we would have to do another podcast about this. So we have three-year-old twins. Our twins turn three in November, and they have very different superpowers. So, so one is like the most... Um, outwardly compassionate person that that I have ever encountered. Like just her her way of like she just has a heart for other people. She she's strong. The other one is 
an absolute, she is either the president or, or she is going to drive some people crazy with, with, with her, not, not demands. She's so clear about leadership and her place as a leader at three years old that we, we laugh like, okay. So my, my five, we have, we have a song. I also have a five-year-old and she talks about how much of like, we, we try not to use the word boss, but like she, she's very comfortable in the executive role. And my five-year-old will giggle about how much like Simone runs the house. And so, so that like those, those would I, I what I, I'd say would be the twin superpowers. And then my five-year-old is just the most remarkable ball of light. And she remind, I have a, I have a sister too, and like my sister is very much this way. Like you can feel the sunshine when she walks mm-hmm. into a room. Like, people light up, adults light up, kids light up. She is just like this outwardly bright, positive spirit. And, and like we, we we're trying to stay out of the way, but also channel like that because it's there's a time where you got to kind of bring it in. So we're working with her on that. But like she's just yeah, she's just such a bright spirit. Tucson, I think you're such a light spirit. (laughs) (laughs) What does the new school mean to you? I had time to pre-prep for this question. (laughs) So it absolutely means seeing more human and being more human and like going toward that and being on that journey. Mm. Where can people find you? They can find me mainly on LinkedIn. I I feel like that's where I live. I like, I I tried to, to do all the stuff, but like I'm, I just gravitate toward LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, um, enzowealth.com, the just listen project.com. Um, yeah, all of those places. I have a Twitter handle, but I don't do anything with it. So don't follow me there. I'm not so good on Twitter either. Yeah. <laughs> like it's too, it's too rapid for me. Like I, know. Uh, I know it is rapid. So Tucson, thank you so much for being on such a complete delight. I feel like we could go on. A, we might have to have you back actually, because there's a lot in my mind that we didn't even get to talk to about address, but closing out as you think about the future, as you think about the just listen project, as you think about, and so wealth, what is the change that you're creating that you hope for? Uplifting, like like unquestionably in all of those things, the unifying theme. And I got something cooking where I'm hoping to unify them all, but just uplifting, uplifting um, racial healing, uplifting belonging, uplifting wealth management, financial services. Generally, I want to uplift people. I want to uplift places. Wow. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, guys. This is awesome. Like inside the show that I love. (laughs) We're so honored.